Lord, you have the words of eternal life. When Simon Peter said that in John chapter 6, it was after a lot of other disciples actually rejected Jesus' words, specifically when he said that we must eat the bread of his flesh to live forever. But Lord, Peter said, where else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Even today, we may not always understand his word, and we might even be put off by it. Yet they are words of life to those who live by them. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, General Editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast, where I talk with other women about those words of life that we find in the Bible, how we read and come to understand Scripture, and the difference that it makes in our lives. Today, I am talking with Lori Manhart. Lori is the founder of the Come and See Bible Study Series, and Lori co-wrote nearly all of those studies in addition to founding the program. And I am really grateful for her contribution to the Women's Bible, not only the introduction to John's Gospel, from which I just read, but also a dozen introductions to various New Testament books that she contributed. Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. It is my pleasure, Sarah, to be with you. All for the glory and honor of God, I'm delighted to talk with you. Amen. Well, you've accomplished quite a bit over the years. When I think that Come and See has, what, 17 or 18 studies, you cover every single book of the Bible. I think you have some kids' studies as well. But I have to ask you, you know, when you were like, 20-something or 30-something. Was this your plan? Were you always like setting out to start this big, this big scripture study project? No, it wasn't a plan of mine at all. It was simply divine providence, I would imagine. As a young woman, I was reading the Bible every year cover to cover, which is not a good way to do it, as you know, but I didn't know at the time. <laughs> a better way to do it is with Father Mike Schmitz and let him proclaim the word as you read along, but I was reading it and not studying it, and I felt like I was probably the Ethiopian eunuch. How can I understand this <laughs> if I have no one to explain it to me? And I had a very difficult passage that I encountered in the book of Sirach. On one page, it said, the mercy of God endures forever. On the next page, it talked about the justice of God. Mm -hmm. And so I had this great conflict in my spirit and in my mind, and I couldn't reconcile it. So the, the verse that really struggled with me was from Sirach 5, verses 6 and 7. Sirach says, Do not say his mercy is great. He will forgive the multitude of my sins for both mercy and wrath are with him, and mm. his anger rests, rests on sinners. So I thought, whoa, this is really not good news because the Holy Spirit was prompting me in my spirit, and I was recognizing the fact that I really am a sinner mm. and that I deserve God's wrath. And I thought, well, how can it be that God is all merciful and all just and I was struggling with this incredible mystery of God. As a young person, thinking that I was going to be able to understand everything, including the mysteries of God, which, of course, we can't do. So I was pregnant at that time with my second child. 
And I was walking and I was talking to God and I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And then I prayed a really dumb prayer, which I don't recommend and which I know is not theologically wise. But I said, you know, Lord, I have repented of my sins. I trust in your mercy. I will be happy to go to purgatory. I'm not really comfortable or understanding what it's going to be like. So when I go into labor, please give me a hard labor. Oh, my goodness. I would like to do some penance now. No, that's not a good prayer. And sometimes God even answers our dumb prayers, which in this case he did. So on New Year's Eve, I went into labor. I had a 24-hour labor. At the time I was in graduate school, and probably thousands of times I said I was working on CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So a thousand times I said, when a heart stops, you have two to four minutes before brain damage can occur. So as I'm in labor and I'm watching the leads and I'm watching my baby's heartbeat drop, plummet, and suddenly become a flat line and everybody deciding that the leads are in place and all of a sudden there's this great activity and called the operating team and we need to do an emergency section. And as women, we've been in this situation where we're in labor and something isn't going right. Mm -hmm. I woke up in the recovery room and the nurse said something that's very curious that nurses will almost never say. She said, it took five minutes for the operating team to get here and three minutes to get the baby out. So I'm doing the math. That's eight minutes. And then I learned that the baby had an APGAR score of zero at birth and zero at 10 minutes later. So those of you who are maybe listening who are nurses or medical personnel will know that this would indicate a very difficult situation for a baby. And that, that sounds as though God really took you at your word and gave you a very, not only a hard labor, but a really hard birth and delivery. Yes, but the interesting thing, Sarah, is he was going to show me something even greater in that when I took this little baby home, I immediately fell in love with her and thought, well, whatever is wrong with her, I'm going to love her. Hmm. She came years later, came home from school with always on a report card. She finished mm-hmm. high school in three years, college in three years. And I thought, oh my gosh, God's mercy is far beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, he could have let me go through a very difficult labor. He could have let me come home from the hospital empty handed. He could have had me raise a child who was severely handicapped. And any of those things might have happened, but I knew at that point in time that God's mercy and God's justice were far beyond anything that my mind could comprehend, and I wanted to get to know him more. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do more than just read his word. I wanted to study his word. So just so I'm clear, did this this realization of God's mercy come about only after she grew up and started coming home with... No, it it occurred as soon as I brought her home from the hospital. 
I knew immediately that God had done something extraordinary, Hmm. that he was beyond my understanding, that up to this time, perhaps it was the sin of pride, but I thought I could understand anything. If we studied hard enough, we could figure it out. You know, it's, we did the multiplication table. I've got that. It's done. So for me, it was a sense of humility that God is so huge Mm -hmm. and so merciful and so beyond our conceptualization that I wasn't going to be able to put God in a box. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful realization. And so is it at that point, did your understanding and, and reading of scripture change or you got more interested in it? What, what changed at that well, point? Well, what changed was uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. People mm-hmm. prayed over me for a great, greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures came alive. Wow. And I, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came a hunger, greater hunger for the sacraments, for experiencing Jesus in the Eucharist on a more regular basis, celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation more frequently, and really studying God's word so that someone who was wiser could explain to me the troubling passages that I that I didn't understand. So it sounds like all that time before, you were just kind of obediently reading scripture, but not really getting a whole lot out of it or not necessarily understanding it or coming alive with it, but just reading it. Exactly. And you're being kind. I wasn't being obedient. I was being intellectually proud. I was just reading it as a sort of an academic exercise, Uh which I think is really dangerous. I mean, I wanted to be smart. I didn't want to be holy. Mm -hmm. I wanted to. So I needed a whole transformation of my spirit Mm -hmm. and my, my mind, my soul, my spirit. And God was going to be the only one who could provide all that. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that because that is such an important thing. It's not enough simply to apply our minds to the scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray. And he wants to speak to us. So he will, like you said, bring them to life uh, yes. when we ask him. When I initially was reading the scripture, Sarah, I would read a passage and say, oh, my brother needs to read this passage. <laughs> or, oh, my sister needs to read yeah. this passage. And Ultimately, I felt like the Lord saying to me very clearly, Lori, I wrote this for you. Oh, you want me to change. Mm -hmm. You want me to appropriate these scriptures into my life. You want me to be kind and loving and forgiving. You want me to have these fruits of the Holy Spirit. And that was a big revelation to me. Beautiful. So it sounds like you were studying science of some sort, health or nursing or something. So you're not studying theology. How did you come about, you know, writing a bunch of Bible studies? That took a very long period of time. I was teaching young girls in a Christian school in Ann Arbor, and I had a very significant life-changing event. When I was 35 years old, my husband was killed in an automobile accident. Mm -hmm. And so I had two children that I was trying to raise alone. And about three years later, we moved to New Jersey, and my friend Anne kept telling me about this wonderful Bible study she went to during the day 
that I couldn't go to because I was teaching. Mm-hmm. When I arrived in New Jersey, I was able to go to this Bible study. So that opened the door for me to begin to study God's word with other women in a more serious way, to mm-hmm. really read the sacred scriptures and pray about them and to write things down, which is the way we learned in school. We took notes, mm-hmm. we, we wrote. So I wasn't just reading through the scriptures, but I was really pondering them and considering some personal applications to the scriptures. How could I apply this to my life? So that really opened a door for me. So was that different actually reading it with other women as opposed to just reading and studying on your own? Oh, absolutely. It was really, I think God has made us community. He wants us to be with other people. We're not Some of us are contemplative, some of us are hermits and live alone, but most of us, and I think particularly women, we are relational and Mm -hmm. we, we like to be with other people. And sometimes the Lord chooses to speak through one of my sisters in the Lord to me. Mm -hmm. So as I'm looking at uh, the Living Word Catholic Women's Devotional Bible, I'm stunned at how the Lord is speaking to someone else, which speaks to me. So mm-hmm. for example, Dr. Mary Healy's two-page introduction yeah. is magnificent. Mm-hmm. She really shows us how she was hungry for God's word. She was starving. And so many of us are. We can't make sense of our world or our situation. And we we need the Lord and we yeah. need his wisdom and his guidance. And sometimes that comes to us through God's word. Sometimes it comes to us through brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. So you were hungry for that word. And at what point did you start wanting to feed other people? Why? How did you start writing these other Bible studies? Well, you and I were both involved in an interfaith Bible study for a long time. And the women in the study kept saying, wouldn't it be nice if there was something like this that was Catholic. And this was 30 years ago at a time in which there were very few materials available to Catholics that had any kind of depth in them, Mm -hmm. I think we could safely say, charitably say. So I spoke with someone about the possibility of writing just a commentary on the Gospel of John and some cross-referencing some looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I started with a priest who was the editor of Homiletics and Pastoral Review, and he agreed to do it. And then he couldn't do it because he was too busy. But he said, I met a priest who just finished his doctorate in sacred scripture at the Biblicum, and he will write with you. So this anonymous priest that I never met who lived in nowhere, Montana, (laughs) decided that we would write together. And I called him and I said, okay, I've already written chapter two because I I can understand that, but I can't do chapter one. So you need to do that and we'll divide it up. And so we wrote this book together. And when we finished, I thought, oh my goodness, he is a biblical scholar. He speaks 12 languages. He knows the Hebrew, he knows the Greek, he knows Aramaic, and I don't have any of those languages. And so this is going to be a very disjointed project. And when the book came, I was reading it for proofreading and editing and getting out typos. 
And I got to about chapter nine or 10 and I thought, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. I wonder which one of us wrote this. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference, which is really the power of the Holy Spirit, as you know. And you've had a similar experience of the Holy Spirit just making something so seamless that shouldn't be. And so you kept on writing these and you ended up with, is it 18? Yes, we have 18 volumes. At the end of the of that study, I decided, well, we should probably meet face-to-face with this anonymous person who I argue with on the phone every week. We're like brother and sister. And on one occasion, he was jabbering away, and I said, what is going on here? And he said, I needed to hear the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic because that's the way that Jesus would have prayed it. Oh my goodness. And I said, well, look, only you and Jesus understand this at this on this conversation. So could you please switch to English and we'll talk? So we had we had this very interesting relationship. So when I met him, I said, well, I'd like to perhaps we could do four or five books in a series. Maybe we could do Genesis next. And he said, why don't you do the whole Bible? And I said, how old are you? There's, you know, 73 books. We're not going to live 73 more years. And he said, well, I just thought it would be nice. And so we did. He didn't do all of the writing. I would say, okay, does anybody know anything about Sirach? And he said, oh, Bishop Jan Leeson in the Netherlands did his dissertation on Sirach. And he decided to write the wisdom literature of the Bible with us. And then I'd say, well, who knows anything about Revelation? And he said, oh, Father Andreas Huck at the dean of the seminary at, in Denver, he did his dissertation on Revelation. And I said, okay, who knows him? Who can get a hold of him? And he was just then going on sabbatical. So he had time to work on this. And these were really divine appointments. They were not something that I planned or hoped for, but it simply unfolded that we could write 18 books. And we wrote three books for preschool to elementary children so that the children could do Bible study while their mothers were talking with other women and doing an adult Bible study. And what I really love about your series is that you had just ordinary people in mind who hadn't studied before. So while they are, as you said, studies of depth, they're easy and approachable. So thank you so much for for doing that. One of the things that struck me as you were you were sending in some of your introductions because you were you were one of the first people who was writing for the women's bible. As I was receiving them, what struck me about yours was that they are so full of little meaningful nuggets of scripture. I could just tell that you have spent a lot of time in the books. You were more interested in getting across the words of scripture to speak to people, you know, than in putting your words forward, maybe. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was the kind of practical effect that they had was just that here's a woman who is filled with the beauty of scripture to the point that it's just flowing out of her. And that was a a lovely, lovely thing. So... I wanted to read just one sentence out of your introduction to John's gospel, just by way of segueing segueing into talking about that. You start out at the beginning and you said, if you could only read one book in your life, and I assume you meant any book, but particularly of scripture, the gospel of John has enough rich spiritual fare to keep you pondering with faith, hope, and love forever. 
And I wondered if you could maybe talk just a, a minute about that and let us know what's so special about John's gospel. There's four gospels. What's what's so special about John? Well, that's an excellent question, Sarah. I think when we look at the synoptic gospels, we're looking at an historical record of the life of Jesus. It's very biographical, who he was, what he did, what he accomplished, and it's so compatible. So we we studied Matthew, Mark, and Luke separately, but then we also did a book called The Synoptics where we compared them. And it's rather remarkable, the events in the life of Jesus that are so similar. In John's gospel, he does a theological reflection on the life of Jesus. So he's not concerned about chronology, for example, whether Jesus was angry in the temple at the beginning of his ministry or at the end of his ministry isn't as important to him as what Jesus is trying to communicate about who he is and what he has done for us and what he wants us to do. So the church, I think, uh, for example, every Catholic woman is pleased to know that marriage occurs through the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But in a particular way, Jesus blesses a married couple in his first ministry, his first miracle that's recorded of his ministry for the the married couple, the newlywed couple in the marriage feast of Cana, who are in a very embarrassing situation. And then we see the sacraments unfolding in the gospel and the beauty of the Blessed Sacrament and the reality of the Eucharist, that it's extraordinarily difficult to read the gospel of John chapter 6 and not experience what Jesus is offering to us. It's so incredible. It's so amazing. And then we know that the church offers us in the cycle, there's a three-year cycle of readings. One year is Matthew, Mm -hmm. one year is Mark, one year is Luke. But every year in Holy Week, we experience in a special way the Gospel of John, and we read the Passion Narrative of John. And some biblical scholars have even said the Gospel of John is a Passion Narrative with a short introduction. So almost (laughs) the whole bulk of the last half of John is the last three days of his life, beginning with his priestly discourse and then going from the Last Supper, and then going through the Passion of Jesus to the Resurrection. So it's really very, very fruitful, and it's very comforting to us. He tells us he's going to prepare a place for us in heaven, that we don't need to worry, that there are many rooms in his Father's house. One translation said, many mansions in my Father's house for you. So he is reassuring us throughout the Gospel of John, that we're not going to be alone, that he's going to remain with us in a profound and intimate sacramental way, and that the hope of heaven is real and it awaits us. Mm -hmm. So I have a a relative who has not been following uh, the Lord. He's a young person. And I told him he needed to read the classics and read the Bible. And that will help him to understand the meaning of life and our hope for not only this life, 
but the world to come. And the Gospel of John can do that. It makes us really excited about the world to come, really excited about growing in love of Jesus and in love of one another. So you mentioned John 6, and of course, I quoted from that at the very beginning of this episode. Is there anything particularly meaningful about that that you would like to share? Can you elaborate a little bit on on what you have found to be so profoundly moving in that chapter? If we listen to the statistics that people are telling us about the number of Catholics who no longer go to Mass, who no longer celebrate the sacraments, who no longer understand or perhaps never understood the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, we can develop a real hunger in our hearts to share the joy that we have in knowing that Jesus said, my flesh is real flesh and my blood is real drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise up on the last day. And this is incredibly hopeful because we want to be raised up on the last day. We want the resurrection of the body and soul. We want that, all of us, and especially for our loved ones. We want our loved ones to experience this. So I think in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, if we would simply read those words of Jesus and meditate upon them and ponder them and perhaps spend some time in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, we could get a greater understanding and appreciation of the phenomenal gift that God has given us mm-hmm. in, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament. And I think I've seen so many women particularly who perhaps they have the opportunity, if they're small children, perhaps they have an opportunity on a Saturday or one special day of the week to receive the Blessed Sacrament. And I'm so stunned at mothers with young children who are bringing four children into a daily Mass because they're hungry for the Blessed Sacrament. And it's it's beautiful to behold. It's it, has just, to, it has to have an impact on those kids to grow up in that kind of atmosphere, knowing that it is that special that you go every day. It's always fascinating to me to read in John 6 and read about you know, the most of the people who were actually listening to Jesus say that and didn't understand it and turned away. And here, you know, Peter says, well, Lord, you know, where else can we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And sometimes things that we don't understand, but that, it, it, I mean, if we trust that God loves us and he wants to be with us and he wants to give us he give himself to us in that really intimate, personal, physical way. Maybe that's what's needed, like you said, just to kind of sit in prayer and ask the Lord to make himself known so that we are able to receive him as, as who he is in, uh, you know, in the Eucharist, because it is such a beautiful thing. I, I know many people who... Protestants who, you know, read that and don't, don't see that it's anything but symbolic. And my heart aches for that because it is such a beautiful thing. 
a, a great, great gift. So my prayer is that people will sit with John 6 and actually come to a greater understanding of it. You know, Sarah, it's very interesting that Jesus saw the people who couldn't accept what he had to say. It was a difficult teaching and they walked away and he didn't say, wait, come back. You didn't understand me. I, I only, I didn't mean what I said. He, he, Jesus is loving and kind. He is the mm-hmm. truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. If there was something that was unclear or misunderstood, Jesus in his great kindness would have corrected it. He mm-hmm. would have, it would have broken his heart to see people walk away from him. And I think it still breaks the heart of God to see people reject him or to reject his promises or to walk away from him and not to taste his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. And there are so many people today also, Sarah, I think who feel like God could never forgive me Hmm. because I have done something so wrong or I have strayed so far from him. And if we trust in the words of Jesus, we know that his mercy is available to us. And mm-hmm. at the end of John's gospel, he gives to the church, to the apostles, the opportunity, the privilege of forgiving our sins and bringing us absolution and reconciling us to the Father. So we have this great hope in the gospel of John that these sacraments are here for our benefit, for our growth in the Christian life. And all the, the, it's been said that at at the Protestant Reformation, the Protestants took the Bible and the Catholics took the, the sacraments. And that's really unfortunate because I think as Catholics, we need the Bible, we need the word of God, and we need the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And they both help us to grow closer to God. And we receive the word made flesh and the word made print, both. Every time we go to Mass. Correct. So, exactly. Precisely. I, I love this emphasis on John right now because, as you know, we're heading into Lent. And every year, you know, the, the church cycles through Matthew, Mark, Luke, we get on a, in a three-year cycle. But we get John every single year. And he's scattered throughout the year. But most predominantly, we hear him during the Lent and Easter time which of course we're, we're coming into. And I wonder if there's any tips you could share, you know, as we're sort of paying attention and noticing, oh yeah, we're hearing from John now. What might we be listening to or for if we should be reading something at home? How do we get the most out of the Easter season and out of John's gospel as we prepare and dive deeper into the whole experience of his passion, death, resurrection? Sarah, I think it depends on our station in life and our situation. For a young mom with a house full of children, I think it's enough simply to listen to the word proclaimed in Mass and let it soak through you. If you have a little bit of extra time and you can do a Bible study on the Gospel of John, that's a wonderful opportunity. If you can simply take 20 minutes a day, and look at the podcast of Father Mike Schmitz as he's going through the Gospel of John. He gives a wonderful prayer 
and a proclamation, and then he follows it with some exegesis, which Mm -hmm. is very helpful. So I think whatever our situation in life is, if we can take some time in Lent simply to open the sacred scriptures, to open our Bibles, to begin perhaps at Jesus' priestly prayer and read what Jesus said on the night before he died to his disciples, and then go through those continuous chapters until we get through the crucifixion of Jesus and look toward his resurrection, we would be very, very well served. So whatever we can do in our situation in life, as women, many of us have families, we have responsibilities, we may not have lots of time, but if we have 15 or 20 minutes in a day to pray and ponder and read, I think it will help our Lent to be very fruitful and very Mm -hmm. rich for us as we take these passages in. And perhaps we can even memorize a few verses. If we're having a hard time understanding or really believing in the real presence in the Eucharist, we can look at the Gospel of John and perhaps memorize one or two verses that will give us comfort. If we've had a recent death of a loved one, Perhaps we could go to John chapter 14 and memorize the promises of Jesus that he did go ahead of us to prepare a place for us. And we can hope in that. So there's great hope and reassurance in the gospel of John that can nurture us in our, in our spirits in whatever place in life we may be in at the moment. Thank you. I think that's very good advice. And for those who want to do a little bit more study, I noticed in your introduction at the very end, you mentioned that John talks about seven miraculous signs that give insight into who Jesus is. And so one thing you could do is take one of those every week during Lent, maybe, and ask Jesus to make himself known in a new way through that particular thing. So lots of lots and lots of opportunities. I wondered if before we go, do you have a favorite verse or a favorite passage of scripture? Is it just kind of a go-to thing that you find yourself returning to again and again through your life? Of course. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 to 30 has been a very important life verse. Actually, beginning in verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the reason that's important to me, Sarah, is because in my young young mother years, I was striving. I was trying to be somebody, trying to be the perfect wife, be the perfect mother, be the perfect everything. And in those days, the whole feminist thrust was you've got to be something. You can't be just a housewife, just a mother. So people were scrambling around. We were trying, striving and striving and striving. And it was exhausting. It was really, really exhausting. And one time a priest told me, Lori, just stop striving. 
Stop trying to do this on your own strength. Stop, lean on the Lord. And so it was very easy for me to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender. You take care of it because I'm not a perfect wife and I'm not a perfect mother and I'm not perfect in all these things. I'm not the perfect daughter. I'm not a great sister to my siblings. So please change me and show me and put your yoke on me. Because I think if we think about yoke of oxen, they're linked together. And I needed the Lord Jesus Christ. I needed him to lean on because I was inadequate on my own. I couldn't be the person I wanted to be. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I didn't have the right words of comfort to give people. I had a lot of words, but not all of them were life-giving or uplifting. So this was a really important verse to me. And repeatedly in my life, I've gone back to it. I've gone back to, Lord, okay, um, I'm weary again. Come to me, you who are weary. I'm tired. I'm weary. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing a good job here. I need you. And the Lord has always been faithful. He has always been faithful to his promise to me and his promises to all of us. And to give you rest. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, we are going to put that passage in the show notes so people can pray with it at their leisure. But I'd like to pray with it using that passage with people today. And if you're listening, maybe close your eyes and just think for a moment. You know, are you tired, exhausted? Are you striving to be somebody? (laughs) Are you weighed down with responsibility or injustice or sadness? There are so many things that can just feel like a real burden to us. And picture yourself carrying that burden, but picture yourself carrying it to Jesus, laying it down at his feet, and then listen and allow his word to speak to your heart as I pray. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Again, from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, Jesus says. You know, whoever you are, whatever you're carrying, stop going in your own direction. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me if you're heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not put everything down, but take my yoke. Join me. Be yoked together with me. Follow me. Learn from me. Why? He goes on. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest, a deep internal rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, 
thank you for allowing us to join you and for you joining us in this daily grind of life. Teach us to take your yoke as we offer up our burdens. Help us to follow you and to put you first in our lives. And as we come to know you more and walk with you and rely on your strength, give us rest in our souls, the rest that only you can give. Jesus, we thank you for this strengthening and hope-filled word. Please give us grace to love and to live it in our daily lives. In your holy name, amen. And Mary, Mother of the Word, pray for us. Lori, I have so enjoyed talking with you today. And thank you for sharing your love of Jesus and his word with all the people that you have through your studies, but also with us today through the writing you've done for the Bible. I look forward to getting a fresh look at Jesus and God's gospel in some of the ways that you suggested. Was there anything else that you would like to add now about your ministry or to let people know how they can reach you, learn more about what you're doing? Well, anyone is welcome to go to catholicbiblestudy.net, and we now have four volumes in Spanish, which I'm very pleased with, and we're hoping to have some of our videos, perhaps with Spanish captioning mm-hmm. for, for parishes. I would encourage anyone to, in whatever way they can, share the Word of God with others, and a way you can do that is in perhaps in a small home Bible study, just inviting some neighbor women to come and study God's word with you, perhaps to read a book of the Bible together and discuss it or do some more in-depth study as it seems fit for your station in life. I'm very pleased to see young mothers with their children studying God's word. This is a great project for homeschooling mothers. And in whatever way people can, it would be nice to draw deeper to the Lord through the study of his word. And I would be very available to talk to anyone who might be, have never opened the Bible and doesn't know anything about how to go about it. If you can put on a pot of coffee or some tea and you can grab a Bible and a catechism in the Catholic Church, you can get started and you can you have a wealth of resources to share with other women and perhaps men and women. There are men doing our Bible study now, and sometimes men study before work early in the morning at the KSC Hall. So there are many ways in which people can do something. And we want to push back the darkness in our culture. We're becoming so biblically illiterate. When you and I were young children, we all knew the Bible stories. We knew the prodigal son. We knew the good Samaritan. And that's not the case anymore. People don't know the things that were very familiar to us. So I would encourage anyone to try to help others as we're studying God's word and studying with others We're advancing the kingdom of God in a small way, perhaps, in our in our communities. So not everybody can go to daily mass because you may not have a church very close by. You may not have 
that opportunity. I, I remember speaking with a, a young mom who was from the smallest diocese in Texas in the smallest parish, and she was able to start a Bible study for her neighbors and her friends. So I would just encourage people to consider doing that, to share God's Word with others in whatever way you can. Amen. It's never too late to start. So thank you so much. Thank you. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. You can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. And if you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, it's available to you now for the special price of $59.95 and free shipping. Just go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BiblePodcast, one word. The offer expires at the end of 2023. May God bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.